On today's episode of Titus and Tate, we are talking with University of Virginia basketball legend. I'll say legend. I'll use the L word. Justin mm-hmm. Anderson. Uh, he's, he joined us for a, a pretty long discussion. We got into it about um, Bennett Ball, the rise of Tony Bennett, the Virginia winning the national championship. I keep asking guys, uh, basically, are you annoyed that your alma mater won after you left? I, I that, that's a common question I ask guys, mm-hmm. and everyone says no. Everyone's like, I'm very happy for them, and I, I'm starting to feel like Tate. Maybe I'm the only person in the world that has that train of thought. <laughs> it's a very one and done train of thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like during my year we didn't do it, so I'm good on that. Yeah. I can pass on that. But I kind of I, I respect the fact that he was yeah. excited. And uh, Justin Anderson, I mean, he's one of those guys that I I dreamed that would go to Carolina, but they took JP Tokito instead, and he mm. remembered that and. Uh, he terrorized Carolina. For we, did, we, we did a thing with him where uh, we, we went through all the altercations he's been in in his career, and yeah. we had him explain why it is that he gets into all these altercations. It was pretty funny because you could just kind of see him slowly realizing, like, yeah, I do kind of mix it up a lot. But, mm-hmm. it, but the funniest part, though, is that it's, like, not all of his fault. So um, trying, to, trying to rationalize how can you get in so many altercations but it always not be your fault what's going on here it was it, uh, was a fun exercise it, it's a it's a sign of right logic wrong place and yeah right. he happens to be at the wrong place a few too many times on a basketball court uh we're going to talk about the nba coming back maybe a little bit talk about this bobby hurley story uh mm. he's, he's got a little beef going with his with the athletic director at arizona state it is an absolutely loaded show we're going to get to all of it but first woody durham he takes the time out All right, Tay, before we get into the uh, Bobby Hurley situation, which I know anytime uh, a Coach K disciples in the news, you're, you're, you're mm-hmm. excited about that. Uh, I want to first congratulate my sister. Uh, she had a baby this week, Tate, her second child. Um, I have another niece that has been brought into the world. Uh, and under nor- normal circumstances, I would not mention this. It's not exactly worth mentioning other than, yeah, it's just not worth mentioning. But there's some controversy, Tate, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, so the baby was born Tuesday night slash Wednesday morning. The official time that it was born was midnight Wednesday morning. Um, and they, they obviously my, my sister went into labor before, like she went into labor Tuesday night. She went to the hospital Tuesday night in her mind. She had the baby Tuesday night. The baby officially comes out on the dot at midnight. The nurses in the room after the fact explain that the clock in the delivery room is actually a little fast. Mm. So my sister and my brother-in-law are of the belief that the baby's birthday should be Tuesday, that it was born like at 1158, 1159 Tuesday. Uh, the, the official birth certificate says Wednesday morning. It has become a massive controversy in our family. I'm asking questions. Of, I, I'm saying review the tape. I'm asking like mm. when mm. – there, there are a lot of questions. Where, where, does, where, does, where do you stand on this? And then also like when, when is a baby born in the first place? Is it, is, it a, is, it, is it like a touchdown situation where it crosses – any part of it crosses the plane? Is it like soccer that the whole, whole ball has to be out of bounds for it to be out of bounds? I, I, I think the whole ball. I think, I, think okay. the whole, okay. I think the whole baby has to be out. And it's funny because uh, as you say this, my brother and his wife announced that they're going to have another daughter. So we're both mm. going to have two nieces. So this, <laughs> there is, we go. Uh, this is what is going on in the world. Uh, I think the baby has to be completely out. We have to confirm that the baby is healthy. Uh, and then we say the baby is born. So the baby was born on Wednesday and uh, confirmed born on Wednesday. Okay. All right. Because I, I said cutting the cord. I think just, just that, that's a pretty 
That's you, you can't dispute that. It's like whenever the whenever the the scissors that's how it works, right? It's just mm-hmm. you just get like some some standard office supply scissors mm-hmm. and <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and cut it. Uh that's what I thought it was, but apparently it, it is when the full baby's out. But yeah, there, it's a big controversy. My brother-in-law is very adamant about celebrating the birthday on Tuesday, uh the 20 I believe it's the 26th then. Um my sister says her birthday will be the 27th. So this is going to be fun. This baby's going to have a fun life every year uh, when his birthday rolls around. I, I, I was going to say that just sounds like two birthdays. I mean, that sounds like yeah, a that's true. It's just going to be a double yeah, be double birthday party. So uh, anyway, that is uh, en- enough with that. We have to talk about um, Bobby Hurley, Tate. Uh, so news breaks this week that Bobby Hurley in December sent an email to his athletic director, Ray Anderson, about um, – we remember this story. There's a booster at Arizona State who was basically sexually harassing slash allegedly sexually assaulting uh, wherever you fall on the spectrum of, of what was going on. He was disturbing just, behavior. Was yeah. Going. Just very disturbing, creepy behavior towards, uh, the wives, the wives of, uh, uh, Arizona state staffers, including Bobby Hurley's uh, wife, um, including Hurley's wife. So they, they address the situation. Um, Anderson, the, the athletic director apparently tells Hurley it's going to be taken care of. And then the next game happens and this booster is sitting very close to the court, making everyone uncomfortable yet again. So Hurley sends an email basically saying, what the hell's going on here? And, and it's, it's very, um, I don't know, aggressive, we'll say. Uh, through a Freedom of Information Act, Yahoo, I believe, finds this email. Of course, yes. Ex- publishes all the details, says this is going on, and then uh, tries to turn it into a thing. And then Bobby Hurley releases a statement this week that says, my relationship with athletic director Ray Anderson today is strong. We will work together alongside my outstanding coaching staff towards the continued success of Sun Devil men's basketball, which to me read like a statement that says, I hate this guy so much. (laughs) It is the exact statement you put out when you're like, I hate this guy and I'm going to overdo it on purpose with my statement. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's trouble in paradise state because Arizona state they're on the, they're on, they're on the come up. Just wait till Bobby Hurley gets his recruits in there. He's what, what, this is year two for him. You're, this would have been his third. This would have been his third, third year. Third year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's only he just got hired. Uh, let him get his recruits in there. Arizona State has a good thing going, but now all of a sudden there's trouble in paradise. Well, there's trouble in paradise, right? Because Bobby Hurley, as we've talked about plenty of times, he is Mister December, and mm-hmm. trouble happened during the paradise of December. It was December seventh. So while he's on his throne, while he is taking over college basketball, not losing games, watching Remy Martin hit shots from everywhere on the floor. He's also dealing with this. He, he even mentions in one of those emails, like, you know, if it was uh, directed, the athletic director's daughter and wife, how, he, how would he feel about it? They talk about a sliding scale. He graded it a two or a three on a scale as far as what he did, deemed to be just disturbing. That wasn't great. Um, and like you said, the, all just this, the idea of a scale. Not, the never mind scale the fact you gave it a great. two or a three, but like just, just a scale in general. Of, of, on a scale of one to 10, how. <laughs> No one, no one's ever like you know that. That's not what we want to see. Uh, I think if anything, this just puts. Uh, we we talked about it. We texted offline when we first saw the story. It puts a weird spin on all the positive stuff that's going on. Hurley would have made the tournament three straight years, make the tournament. Mm-hmm. They got top recruits coming in. Um, it, it was all spinning the right way for Arizona State, and now with this whole story, you could see some programs that probably want a top coach like Bobby Hurley, maybe reaching mm-hmm. out to Bobby Hurley and saying, Hey, you don't want to deal with disturbing behavior from boosters at your school. Why don't you come to USC? Mm-hmm. Why, don't, why don't you come, you know, to, I mean, we can list a, a myriad of schools, maybe Duke in three years. Um, but Bobby Hurley, I think this being public opens the door for people to try to recruit him, which I think is interesting. 
Well, it, it, which is how I see this playing out. That's, that's mm. how I see this ending, which is a bummer because uh, for all the jokes we like to make about Bobby Hurley, and boy, do we like making those jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, I have paid more attention to Arizona State basketball in the last few years than I have in my entire life probably. And, and it's not just because Bobby Hurley is Bobby Hurley. Like they're actually, it's not just empty calories. And, and we love the Mr. December thing, and, and he does have a knack for you know getting – very, very hot in December and then just kind of fading once Pac-12 play starts. But uh, in general, the job he's doing, I think you have to agree that he's doing a great job at Arizona yeah. State. Like he's making them relevant. He's they're, they're winning more often than we're accustomed to seeing an Arizona State basketball program win. Um, and it just felt like I, – I, I don't think I, – I, I, I don't think there's anybody that thought when he took this job that he was going to retire at Arizona State. But uh, anytime you see a guy like kind of building something like this, you, you start thinking like, maybe, maybe you could, maybe there's something here. Maybe this is a long-term play here. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think this is the the beginning of the end of the Arizona state Bobby Hurley relationship. And that doesn't mean I think it's going to happen before next season. That doesn't mean it's going to happen in the next two years, but I think the clock is now ticking on Bobby Hurley's exit or, or maybe not, maybe, maybe the athletic director, maybe Anderson leaves, but I, I am not buying the statement <laughs> whatsoever. My relationship is strong. We will work together. You can't send those emails and have that. I, you, I don't, I don't know. I just don't think you can really like come back from that all the way. You can't, you can't unring that bell um, of basically emailing your, your boss and saying, what the hell is going on here? Uh, I, I don't think you can unring that bell. And I think, um, yeah, the clock is now ticking, but it's just a matter of of when at this point, right? And, and there's a there's a countersuit going on with the booster. He he's suing mm-hmm. for you know damages up to five million dollars at this point, saying that it was all overblown and all this sort of stuff as well. So like this thing is going to draw out. This is going to be a continued story. And uh, to be quite honest with you, if I was Arizona, if I was the Wildcats, and uh, I saw this whole playing out, and and I know that I have a lot of heat on me um, with with the NCAA, which our own coach, Rashawn Miller. Why not go try to poach Bobby Early and say you want to stay in this state? <laughs> that would be well, um, and and be at the premier program that's a blue blood. I mean, why not? Like, why not take a shot? I love that's, it. That, that's what I think will happen with this, though. I think it's just this is something that is private. This is dirty laundry, um, mm. legitimately dirty laundry that comes out as public. Who knew and, that we all you had to do is just do a Freedom of Information Act? We didn't have to ask people to send us stories. All you had to do is just ask the yes. schools themselves. To send yes, us, we, public us. records request. Anything. Release the emails. <laughs> Yes, please. We need to see the tapes. And Bobby Hurley, uh, after we've seen the tapes, I think he is uh, one of the top you know, coaches on the list for people that you want to reach out to. I mean, we saw the under 40 list with Wes Miller, number one. Mm-hmm. There's not much hope for guys to come save a program. I think Bobby Hurley is one of those guys. I don't even think Dan Hurley is one of those guys at UConn. But I think Bobby is. And like I said, if there's a, like a school, like if UCLA didn't get Mick Cronin last year and they're still floundering with Steve Offer. You're trying to keep him out Bobby West. Hurley. Yeah, oh, I, I – I think, I think out he West belongs out West. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, because my mind immediately, anytime uh, Coach K Disciples in the news, anytime I, I'm starting to sniff uh, a divorce between a Coach K Disciple and the school that he's at, my mind is going towards what, wh- where does he fall in the Coach K successor power rankings? We haven't updated those in a while, by the way. Should we do this? How do, you, how do we see this right now? Because I think Bobby Hurley might be at the top of the list right now. Is he not? Mm. Who, think, who, how, how do you see it? You're, you're better at this than I am. What is the Coach K successor as of today? Like if Coach K announced today, uh, this coronavirus situation has me freaked out. I, I just, you know, I, I, I've done a lot of thinking and I think, you know what, I'm just going to hang it up now. I'm, I'm going to turn it over to whoever you guys want to hire. Where does Duke go? Who, who is the number one guy on the list? 
The number one guy on the list, I think, is uh, well. I, I'll start with three. I think there's a top three. Number three is is Capel at Pittsburgh, and he's doing mm-hmm. the ACC. Uh, you know, let, let's see if I can build it somewhere else. Can I build a stalwart in the ACC that to prove myself to you, Coach K, that I can do this? I can recruit at this level, whatever, whatever. That's number three. Number two is Bobby Hurley, the better version of Capel, and he he comes to Duke. He has not been in the ACC. He is not tainted his image within the ACC. He comes clean. He doesn't have the, the, the stench of the Oklahoma exit. With exactly. The yeah, all yeah. That, there, there's, not, there's not all the hang-ups that come with, mm-hmm. with the capable re-entry into the Duke scene, right? Bobby Hurley comes. Right. We remember Bobby, Hur- Bobby Hurley. We remember Leitner. Those are the Duke teams that people in Durham love so much, and he comes in and cleans things up. But number one is simple, and it's for legacy. And that's what Coach K cares about. This is Krzyzewskiville we're talking about. This is Coach K's empire. This is not Duke. Coach K puts the K in Duke. It just should just be K. And uh, and let me just tell you what he wants. He wants what Larry Brown has with Dean Smith and his coaching tree. He wants the idea that someone can win in the pros and then win mm, in college. I know where you're going with this. And the guy that can do that, and he has a player in Utah, in Donovan Mitchell, and mm-hmm. he has a team that, that could be built to make a run for a title out west, you know, depending on how you feel about the Utah Jazz. Quinn Snyder has always been number one. And I think Coach K loves Quinn Snyder because Quinn Snyder doesn't want to be number one. <laughs> and uh, everyone, everyone likes who got away. You know what I mean? Everyone's like, right. oh, like he, he wants Quinn to call him. He wants to talk to Quinn. He wants to talk strategy. And I think if Quinn was able to win in the NBA and then come back to college and win at Duke, get that Larry Brown check mark, be the second guy to do that. Coach K has that in his coaching tree. He's, he's passed Dean Smith all across the board in his mind, and he's done. He can rest in peace. I like it. I think I think you're uh, you're onto something. What happened? What about Wojo though? Wojo, I feel like the last time we did this was probably it was probably well over a year ago. To be honest with you, Wojo, Wojo was Chris probably Collins at the top are, of the list. Well, they're four and five, right? They're, yeah. I think Collins and Wojo are four and five, and I think that they both, like you said, with Bobby Hurley, they they have uh, you know put the flag down and said, "I'm Marquette basketball. Uh, I love Chris Farley." And in Chris Collins' case, he's saying, "We went to the NCAA tournament that one time. You guys remember that? Please believe me." I think um, uh, they're going to stay there. Dawkins and Amaker have to be off the list at this point, right? Are they too old? Have they have they been around too long? Like you don't. Dawkins want... is off the list. I think Amaker has a chance just because he's doing at Harvard what you have to do at Duke, and yeah. Uh, so I think he's playing the same system. And then I would say Shire is way too young. Obviously, they're not going to give it to Shire anytime soon. But like Coach K is not going to retire anytime soon. So I, like right now, Shire is very low on the list. But what about a world where Shire for twelve for the next twelve years, K is still coaching? And Shire is suddenly like 45, and he's been an assistant coach at Duke for the last 15 years. Maybe Shire's, maybe throw Shire <laughs> in the mix. But Shire, Shire's not what you uh what you like Mike White too. You always throw Mike White's name out. But that's because of Ke- that's because of Kevin White. Yeah, obviously. Uh, but that uh th- that can't that's not going to be the successor, right? I Mike think if White. Ke- yeah, if, he, he's if, the guy after the guy. If nepotism works at Duke like we think it may, uh, there's a chance that Kevin White could call the shots. And if Coach K is that far removed, like let's say Quinn Snyder's just not calling back. He's still chasing the NBA dreams. Wojo and Chris are done. Capel's fine at Pittsburgh. Bobby Hurley's at, you know, some other big time school and is like, I don't he's at Texas or something. He's like, I don't I don't want to go back to Duke. I'm good. Then Coach yeah. K maybe says, Kevin, it's your pick. Uh yeah, yeah. Are my, you know, and you got your guy, Mike White. He goes up there. Uh, but uh yeah, it's it's definitely going to be Coach K's call um, in the end. So Mike White is 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 not happening. But uh, yeah, dude, I th- I think Bobby Hurley might be. I don't know. I, I I'm with you that Quinn Snyder is probably number one. But if just if Quinn Snyder doesn't want it, is there even? Because all the other guys on the list, I feel like the 100 percent want. It. I mean, Cable 100 percent want it. Cable yes. wants it. Hurley wants it. On down the on down the line, 
Um, so of the guys that like actually actively want it, Hurley might be the number one. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's, uh, again, I don't, I don't expect anything to happen anytime soon. Hurley's going to coach at Arizona state this year. He might even coach next year. I don't know, but I just, uh, I, I don't know any, anytime an athletic director and a coach are getting into it like this, this is not a, I, I don't think this is a relationship that's going to last much longer than a year or two. Especially when the fans are all on the side of the coach, pretty, yeah. you know, like avidly. They're basically well, like, we love what we're doing. We're recruiting top guys. We're winning games. What's going on here? Like I said, the fix might be Ray Anderson leaves Arizona State and Bobby Hurley sticks around. He, he gets to hire his own. Bobby Hurley hires his own boss and he says, here, bring in this no, guy. He, 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 he goes Bill O'Brien. He is the AD also. He just takes over the entire program. Yeah. So uh, Arizona State fans, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get rid of Bobby Hurley out of your program. I'm just saying the way, the way the power structure currently exists at Arizona State, I would bet the house that that's not going to be the power structure two mm-hmm. years from now. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't, I don't see that that's uh, that's how it's going to work out, but I don't know. I've been wrong before. Um, all right. Let's talk to, let's talk to Justin Anderson, shall we? Mm, from Anderson to Anderson. Yeah. I like it. Let's do it. All right. Joining us now is a university of Virginia legend. He is one of the founding fathers of, of the Tony Bennett. We'll say that the, the Tony Bennett era of Virginia basketball. Um, I would say it's what Tate Malcolm Brogdon, Joe Harris, Justin Anderson, Akil Mitchell, are those the four? Parentes, maybe London Parentes. Yeah, maybe throw yeah. Parentes in there. Uh, his name is Justin Anderson. Justin, I want to start here. Uh, your alma mater won the 2019 national title. Um, I, I just want to get your general thoughts on on how this all played out. Your thoughts as like the guy who, as I said, you were one of the founding fathers. You built this program into its current state, and now they win the national title after you graduate. Was there any any sort of resentment? Were you <laughs> where did you watch the game? What were your feelings? Uh, do you feel like you deserve a ring? Give us your just overall thoughts on uh, Virginia winning the 2019 title. Man, I mean, you just kind of brought back some of the memories of it. Uh, obviously, paying homage to the guys before me, uh, Mike Scott, John Tell Evans, Mustafa Farrakhan. Mm. Um, those guys, those guys really paved the way. They they kind of had a slogan. They uh, they called it the TAY. Um, it was the turnaround year. Uh, it was a young Malcolm on that team, a younger Akil, a really young Joe. Um, so those guys really kind of, they, they had a mission of turning it around, but, uh, I came in with the mindset of like, this is where I'm from. This is my state. Like they can turn it around, but I'm going to try to put us on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, so we came in with that same goal. And, um, as far as the, the 2019 team who, uh, still reigning champions because of the mm-hmm. coronavirus, uh, those guys were incredible. Like those guys are guys that I helped recruit. Um, and so that was kind of sweet in itself. So I, I felt like I was a part of it in the sense of like, I actually knew the guys. I knew where, I knew their, their hearts. I knew they, they were um, really loyal, dedicated basketball players. And I think that means a lot in the NCAA world now because you usually get guys that want to come in and make it all about themselves. And I want to go one and done and things like these guys were um, guys who were like kind of dictate, uh, dedicated to their process. They all, they went three years. So, you know, it's a special connection with me and those guys with that as well. Um, playing out. So um, I was there at the final four. Luckily I was playing in Atlanta and uh, we were kind of towards the end of, we were at the end of the season and I don't want to use tanking, but you can (laughs) with that where you want, but uh, Mm -hmm. I had a really cool coach and Lloyd Pierce who coached me in Philly. And I was here in Atlanta with him as well um, as a first year head coach. And he was like, Jay, you better be going to the, uh," and actually I'll take you back. I didn't know how to ask how I could go to this game in Minneapolis. And, uh, he hit, he, we, we had breakfast before a game. Um, I think we had to play Milwaukee and he was like, yo, Jay, you better be going to the game tomorrow. And I was like, 
really like I can go. And so he like gave me he gave me his, uh, the grace to go and got to fly out there and be be there for both uh, Final Four games. There, there were a lot of you guys there, right? A lot of the former players were 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 uh, in Minneapolis for the title game, at least, right? Yeah, me, uh, Malcolm, Joe, Devin Hall, um, yeah. and a few other guys that uh, maybe not at the top of my head, but we we were out there really strong. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool that you guys like all. Um, I don't know. You, I, I don't need to explain to you the perception of what Virginia basketball was before uh, the, the 2019 title happened, and and for you guys to just all be that family and uh, you know st- stick behind each other, even after the UMBC thing. And like, I don't know. I I feel like that was almost a blessing for Virginia basketball. Is like all of the like the narrative of what Virginia basketball became. Uh, it's like everyone who was in the program or or part of the program. It just made your circle that much tighter, and then to see you guys like all show up at the 2019 title game. Because Tate and I were there too. We were sitting. Yep. We actually got our tickets in the Virginia section. We were probably sitting uh, <laughs> not that far from you guys. We we started just pointing out. We saw Malcolm. I know I saw Devin Hall there too. Um, and we just started pointing out all the guys that were there and just how cool it was. That uh, I'm I'm not sure if every program would have that, but you guys seem to have that, and that's that's one of the cooler things about Virginia, I think. Yeah, it was super important for us because, like you said, we kind of saw what the groundwork that was kind of laid to get there. Mm-hmm. And that was our goal. Um, you know, Mike Curtis, unbelievable strength coach, obviously TB, his name and his staff speak for themselves. Um, but we like that was our motive. It's like we're going to get Coach Curtis a new weight room. And the way, only way that he can get a new weight room is if we won a national championship because it was <laughs> the budget at that point. Um, so hopefully they're working on his weight room now. Uh, but, you know, we kind of saw everything. We kind of envisioned it for ourselves. And uh, it's kind of like I don't want to downplay but like parenting a little bit right like yeah, yeah. kind of go and you do something you know you achieve something at a high level ACC championship we got the chance to be able to accomplish and we were like all right we're going to go get this national championship and we kind of fell short but to have someone your family member or you know your child or whatever kind of come up and do it better than you was like there's a feeling that kind of can't be replaced mm-hmm. and, uh, we're super proud of those guys man and uh, to this day like we continue it's, it's something that we all can just continue to talk about and, and bond over hopefully for the next for a lifetime yeah, and you mentioned family, Justin, and one of the things that we talked about uh, once upon a time was that Tony Bennett is is very similar to a, a modern version of Dean Smith, right? And he's uh, he's had this controversy, he's had this adversity uh, early on. People don't like the system, you know. There was some some of that that happened with four corners. You know, Carolina would run up and down, and they, they would run four corners, and people say Dean Smith was was cheating the game in that way. And people said that about Tony Bennett and the system that Virginia was running. Maybe not the, that far. Um, but they were just upset with how they they were playing. But now you see, like, you guys have this podcast together. You guys are all talking to each other all the time. Coach Bennett is is always hanging out, and it, it just seems like Virginia, like Duke has the brotherhood. Carolina has the Carolina family. What is the Virginia version of that? What, what do you guys call yourself, or is it just a family, and you don't need a nickname or, or a moniker or a hashtag or anything like that? It kind of goes with our offense, man. It's, it's boring as it comes. I mean, we're just a bunch of guys that are we're a band of brothers, um, you know, we don't have any hashtags or anything kind of going for ourselves. We're just a bunch of guys who we came together. We were kind of, you know, we used brute force and we used defense to, to help us win. And uh, we just knew that if we did this thing together, we could we could enjoy it the rest of our lifetimes, you know, being able to bond over championships. And um, and, and it's, it's been able to come to fruition. So it's been cool. But as far as any cool nicknames or anything like we don't have any, man, it, it's as plain, plain Jane as it comes. How much did you guys pay attention to the outside noise, uh, particularly in 2015 when, when uh, I, I think 2014 was the breakthrough year for Virginia basketball when, when you guys – you guys won the ACC that year, right? Uh, 2014, yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you won, you won the ACC in 2014. That, that was kind of like the put Bennett ball on the map. 
Uh, but 2015 was the year you guys like had high expectations. Of course, you you have the finger injury, um, and and we all know how what happened there. But throughout that entire season, uh, it was basically like you and Kentucky had the two. You guys had two of the greatest defenses I've ever seen in all my years watching college basketball. Were, were basically you and Kentucky that same season. And a lot of the narrative around college basketball that year was how unwatchable it became. And a lot of it was your fault, Justin, you in particular. You, basically, you and Malcolm Brogdon, uh, that became like the, the narrative of college basketball was like you, Malcolm Brogdon, and Willie Cauley-Stein are ruining college basketball. Nobody can score on these guys. Um, and, and then Virginia, just the, the perception of what Virginia basketball was kind of got out of control there. How much do you guys pay attention to that? Do you like revel in this? Or is, it, is it awesome to see that like – uh, you're, you're driving all these people insane that they can't even watch. They, they feel like you guys are breaking basketball or you just block out all the noise and just focus on winning. And that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember, I think you put out an article, uh, the club trillion article. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, right. It, it boosted our walk-ons crazy. I mean, like yeah. everything was just falling into place. Everybody felt a part of it, um, which first and foremost was dope. And I remember being in the apartments with my best friend. I lived with my best friend in college. And I remember, um, like watching the the news and guys are just like, they, these guys are ruining basketball. Or you'll see an article on Twitter, these guys are ruining basketball. And at the time, we're just 21-year-old guys just trying to make it. Like we're trying to yeah. change our family's lives. We're trying to change our own lives. <laughs> and then not only that, we're an institution that requires so much from you from a scholastic standpoint, right? Like yeah. I'm still trying to finish my degree as we speak. And um, we, we're like, we're doing all of this. And for people to just constantly disrespect us when we're number one and we're behind a team in Kentucky, or excuse me, we're number two and we're behind a team in Kentucky who's number one. We're watching TV just like, please just lose, lose, lose. <laughs> so these guys, obviously, that team was full of talent. The fact that Devin Booker was coming off the bench for them tells you a lot. Um, but it got to a point where we were just like, yo, like, let's see them. Like, let's let's figure out a way to make this thing happen. And yeah. uh, we wish college basketball worked that way. Obviously, schedules didn't align the way uh, that we needed them to. But at the same time, it's like, Man, we're we're putting in all of this work. We're we're doing all of these lateral slides in practice, man. We're doing all of this defensive stuff in practice for people to just constantly disrespect us. And so we kind of took it personal. We put that chip on our shoulder and we were like, all right, you're gonna respect what we do. Um and now I, I think it's Rothstein, I believe is his name. He always tweets out Virginia basketball, a thing of beauty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, 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 Rothstein, Rothstein is a little late to the party. I mean, if Tate and I can uh, pat ourselves on the back here, Justin, this is why this is we we were very early adopters to the to the Bennett ball. We we loved what we saw. That's I'm glad you brought up the article. I didn't want to be the one to bring it up, mm. but yes, um, as everyone was saying, you guys were breaking college basketball. I was like, this is actually amazing. Like, I love how Virginia plays. Uh, you guys played so well together, particularly like that 2015 year. That was um, I don't know. It was just so fun to follow you guys all season, and then. Tate and I just became so invested in Virginia as a program and just we wanted Tony to get validated so badly. And then it just kept not working out in March basically every year. So then that's that's part of the reason we were there at the title game was like and we sat in the Virginia section just because we're idiots that, that that felt like we were somehow invested in this, even though it was there's really no rhyme or reason why we should have been so invested. Yeah, I mean it just it just all finally came to play and we just started to, like I said, we use that as a chip on our shoulder, man. And we just started to finally realize, like, all right, we, the fact that they're even talking about us is great. I grew up in Virginia, so we were talking about Sean Singletary as an individual, but we weren't talking yeah. about Virginia as a program. Um, you know, it, it's a situation now where we've put a program on the map and we wanted to do it for each other. So it all made sense. I wish we could get past Michigan State uh, the two years in a row that they kind of handled, handled us. Um, but that was a great program. You respect them for what they did. But. You know, it all worked out the way that it was supposed to, and here we are, champions, 2019 champions. It worked out. 
I want to take it back, Justin. Uh, you mentioned being from Virginia, and when you were a young kid, uh, you were in fifth grade. You decided to dunk a basketball, and uh, from there, the legend started to grow. People you decided. Started, That's how it worked. Just yeah, like, yeah. I think I'm you gonna... looked up, and you said, you know what? I might as well just dunk this basketball and let people know what's up. Uh, and, and then from there, the legend kind of grew a little bit around you in eighth grade. You know, a lot of people, there was a lot of hype. You go to a, uh, Montrose Christian Academy. There, there's Terrence Ross, Grievous Vasquez, Kevin Durant. Um, all, all these guys, all these names are there. And, you know, you're an athlete, you're, you're known as an athlete, but then you have to kind of grow your game and you earn your role there and you grow into your role. And then you decide that you're going to go to Maryland and Gary Williams is the coach in Maryland at the time. And they're still in the ACC. And, and that whole situation is totally different there. And like I mentioned, Grievous Vasquez, who was great at Maryland. What, what was that process like growing into the basketball player that you become, right? You know, going from fifth grade, getting all that hype and dealing with that. And then obviously dealing with Gary Williams, because he's one of our favorites here on the program. Yeah, Gary was great, man. It would have been su super cool to play for him. I just remember him and Gravis always going at it. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much energy. And I, that's my that's my character. So, like, I was like, all right, Gravis got to do it. I get to do it, too. So that would have been cool to be able to do. But I grew up in a small town, uh, Montrose, Virginia. It's, like, population of about 350, 400 people, um, even to this wow. day. Very small town. So to get wherever you needed to go was a lot of farms, farm area. It was a lot of, you know, back roads and things like that. So we rode a yeah. lot of bikes. Um, and to the point of dunking in fifth grade. Uh, so my brother was in school still. So it was in the middle of my fifth grade year. And uh, we used to, we had a, a rim out front. Well, before the rim out front, we couldn't necessarily afford the rim out front. We had the crate. We had the uh, milk crate in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up on the uh, yeah. on the telephone pole. And that served, that served great. I think that's, that, that's probably the hardest rim I've ever shot on for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, that kind of graduated to getting the rim. Pop saw that we were super dedicated to playing every day. Uh, we got the rim and we kind of just started at six feet dunking and doing different tricks and watching Vince Carter and dunk contest and kind of just like trying to emulate things on a smaller rim. So we kept moving up. And then uh, fifth grade, we were in an auxiliary gym at uh, George Washington. It was not George Washington University. It was, uh, oh, man, now I'm drawing a blank. But my brother played at Mary Washington University. We're playing against, he was playing against another school. I'm drawing a blank. It's frustrating, kind of. But we were in an auxiliary gym, and I remember my pops was like, yo, go get it. Like, you can do it. So I was like, all right, let me try. Right. <laughs> um, next time I'll go up and dunk it. And I think at that point, we both looked at each other like, yeah, we can do this. And everything else was just kind of history from there. I just spent a lot of time dedicating myself to the, to the craft. And um, obviously, I used my athleticism as long as I could. And then I had to grow something else. And uh, shortly after the three ball came, and obviously, defense is something that is just a a will, it's a want, it's a want to. Um, and so we paired all of that stuff up with Virginia's boring. They need some flair. They don't have any athletes. So how about I just go, you know, be an athlete there and, and try to speed them up a little bit and try to make them a little interesting to watch. And then Coach Bennett helped develop the jumper even more. And things kind of worked out the way that they that they did. I'm just picturing the the opening scene of Space Jam with you saying like you're, you're in fifth grade and you're like, I think I'm just going to go dunk. And you're just looking at the rim and, and that, that messed me up. Space Jam messed me up so bad when I was little because I watched that movie and I was like, I think I'm just going to be I, if I just go out there and I put R. Kelly in my headphones, yeah. I'll be able yeah. to I'll be able to jump and dunk. Yeah, I believe I can that fly. Yeah. That's all, all right. it takes. <laughs> Yeah. Except for you, it was reality. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Why not? For me, it was, it was kind of real. I think I may have had a dunk you, you you mentioned your development at Virginia. Uh, you're a, you're a three year guy. Um, so we're we're currently in the the part of the the college basketball calendar where transfers are the the big thing, and and everyone's talking about which program they're going to, and then uh, it becomes like a larger discussion about transfer culture, and so many guys are transferring. Uh, you feel like a a a case where 
you're the argument for not transferring where you, you show up at Virginia, you don't start right away. You, you end up starting at the end of your freshman year. Then your sophomore year, I think you came off the bench. Um, so your playing time is like kind of a little bit all over the place. Uh, you're playing behind Joe Harris. He leaves. You, you said you retool your jump shot coming into your third year um, and you turn into a first round pick. And it seems like, you know, like that, that is what a lot of the college basketball coaches that roll their eyes at transfers, like will point to a guy like you and be like, that is the, the model right there. Uh, so my question to you, Justin, is, is did transferring ever enter your mind when, when you're, uh, you know, you're, you're a sophomore and you're playing behind your, you're, you're coming off the bench and you know how good you are. Um, or, or was this, did you foresee this the entire way that you would just develop your game and stick it out like that? Absolutely. It came across my mind. Uh, <laughs> I remember my sophomore year, uh, we got blasted by Tennessee and, uh, we talked about this a little bit, Tate, on our podcast. Um, and London Parentes was the he was the guard that we needed. And mm-hmm. going into that season, we just kind of went off of what happened last year. And uh, we knew Malcolm was working on his ball handling, his ball handling relentlessly. And we knew Malcolm wanted to try to show that he could be a point guard so he can help his stock. Because back then, <laughs> Malcolm to this day, Malcolm's a little bit eased up, but he's still as stressed out about making being great. Um, but back then, Malcolm was super locked in. I mean, he's probably the most locked in guy that I've ever been around. And uh, every day he's working his hand to work his hand because he's like, man, I got to prove I can play point if I want to make it. And so we were like, all right, well, let, this year is the year to prove it. You'll play the one. Joe will play the two. I'll be at the three. We've got a big, big, big guard lineup. And uh, we go to we go to Tennessee and they just show us how we're just not we're not ready to play that lineup at all. Um, and, and London's just a freshman and his Cali pace was perfect at the point guard position in our mm-hmm. conference uh, because he had some dogs on the wing that can kind of get after it. Um, and so for me, I, I, I took that I took that really of like offensive. I was like, here I am kind of taking a chance on this university and uh, taking a chance on this program to you know be from here and come here and try to boost it up after decommitting from Maryland. Um, and Coach Williford, Jason Williford was my, the coach that recruited me. And in that moment, he realized that my game kind of went on a decline a little bit because I started to be in my own head. I knew I could have been in a couple of other big time schools uh, that I won't mention because obviously I'm Virginia. <laughs> and, uh, and so my, and so my pops talks to me and, and my pops is like, well, you know, there's this one team that that's that I, they're dying to have you. Like they keep calling. They won a championship the year before. So if you know hoops, you know who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they were hungry. I'll give a, a hint. They were they were the hungry team. Uh-huh. You, and so was, you know what? Like they're athletes, and and then it just came across me. I was like, that's just not who I am. I'm not one that's going to run away from any type of competition, and I'm not one that's going to run away from any type of adversity. Um, this is good for me. I haven't had to experience it at Montrose. I haven't had to experience it uh, with Boo Williams. Um, you know, in, in anywhere in my in my playing career. So this is great for me. So actually, I have it in here. Give me a second. This actually changed. Oh, this actually changed everything. Uh, once I realized, like, it's the sixth man of the year trophy in the ACC. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Nice. Right? So it, it kind of all, once I realized, like, you know what, I'm going to do this, I became uh, two feet in and I just put myself in a position to uh, say, I'm going to do whatever it takes for this team. And me and Anthony Gill actually were going through the same thing at that time. And we both just looked at each other like, yo, let's, let's just be dogs off the bench and let's figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly after this award came, they called me one day and was like, yeah, you're a finalist. And, hey, you just won. And I was like, oh, OK, that was never my goal. But um, it was cool to, to be able to go through that and kind of have that experience. And it helped me because now I'm in the NBA and the constant up and down and the constant you have to be the 15th man one year and the seventh man another. Like it, all of that stuff really helped me in my playing career. So. So the guys who were just, you know, I'm going to transfer because I want to do me and this and that, that's just never been in my DNA. Mm. 
Yeah, and I remember, Justin, the, the, after you win that six-man-of-the-year trophy, right, the summer going, Joe Harris leaves, he goes to the NBA, you're going to be the starter that's moving into the starting lineup, and, and Tony Bennett tells you that, Coach Bennett tells you that. And then there was a story, right, that you went to Chicago and, and you worked out with, with your cousin who was playing for the Bears at the time and, and uh, worked with, with the trainer that was like Tabo Sevalosha's trainer and all that sort of stuff. I can't remember the name of who it was, but I remember that story because you guys beat North Carolina uh, in the Dean Dome in 2015, and and I was at that game, and I was like, well, how did Justin Anderson get so good at shooting the basketball from the corner? What is going on here? I think you had like seven assists in that game as well. Um, and and what was that summer like? And did Coach Bennett put that on you to go and and do that, or did you do it on yourself? Because like you said, you're making that transition from the six man to a starter. Uh, well, you kind of know the reason why I, I I was I was juiced up a little bit for that UNC game. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> With Tokido. So, um, but outside of that, I mean, I went into the next season and I knew Joe was leaving. So we knew that was an opportunity. But the first thing Coach Bennett said to me before I even committed as a, as a first year um, was nothing that you get here will be given. Like you have to earn everything. And so when I knew Joe left, I knew we were going to be lacking shooting. And, I, and I've always been able to shoot the ball. And I always actually like to shoot the ball um, from beyond college range or NBA range. Um, it was just a matter of consistency. And I had to figure out consistency. Um, at a younger stage in my life than a lot of people do, um, because if I didn't, if I wasn't consistent in you know shooting the basketball and putting in work, um, I, I could have lost my spot again potentially, um, and I didn't want to do that. I, I felt that already. So what I did was my cousin he plays in the NFL. He had a 12-year career, uh, Super Bowl champion, uh, Jermon Bushrod with the New Orleans Saints, uh, finished with the Miami Dolphins. Um, I got the chance to go out there and spend a summer with him because two summers in a row now I'm here at UVA. We've had some success, but I can't be on this campus again. Like, I'm from here. I've been in Virginia my whole life. I need to get away. And he was living in Chicago at the time, playing with the Bears. And uh, it was just the discipline that he showed me with his wife and his kids of waking up every day at the same time. Breakfast is prepared. We're going to go do our speed and agility and strength. And then we're going to go to the court. And uh, I decided to work with Steve Pratt out of Chicago, is the name, um, who's a phenomenal uh, shooting development coach. And so when I came back from Chicago, I spent maybe – three or four weeks there. When I came back from Chicago, you know, you have the mandatory be back at this time. Everybody's getting the email schedule. Uh, I came back and I was in the gym doing my, before we play pickup, I was doing my routine. And I remember, excuse me, I remember uh, Coach Bennett and Coach Williford kind of watching me from afar and they were laughing. And I took offense to it. I personally <laughs> took offense to it. I was like, all right, so you guys want me to kind of continue to develop my game, but this is funny to you. And, you know, it kind of pissed me off in the sense of like, all right, like, Keep laughing. I'm going to prove to you guys that I did what I was supposed to do and I came back better. Um, and so Coach Bennett actually kind of started to like what I was doing. It was a lot of like Dirk Nowitzki-esque uh, drills where you're kind of lounging, lunging off to the side and you're mm -hmm. slow shooting and you're doing all of these like hop, hop forward spin. We saw it with Kevin Durant in pregame. Like I'm doing a lot of those drills that Steve is phenomenal when it comes to uh, teaching, uh, shooting the basketball. And, uh, and so it started to work. And I remember Coach Williford came up to me and I was like, uh, what, did, what does Coach have to say? Because I realized, like, Coach Bennett wasn't on my case as much that year. I was like, uh, what does Coach Bennett have to say about me shooting 45? I'm trying to beat his 45%. Uh, I'm trying to beat his record, um, his college basketball record. And he was like, you want to know, Slip? He was like, he told us not to say anything to you, just to let you keep going. So for the rest of the, for the, rest of the season, Coach Bennett kind of just let me go. He knew I wasn't taking shots to try to put myself in a different category than mm -hmm. my teammates. I was going to take the good shots. And uh, it was actually a pretty pretty cool story about how that all worked out. And uh, I think he actually started to adopt some of the stuff that they're still doing to this day. Oh, that's great. Um, so I, I want to talk about this because uh, you, you're 
part of part of what stood out to me in the 2015 team and made me fall in love with Virginia beyond all the reasons we talked about where I kind of just felt like I loved the style of play you guys had but um like you you and Malcolm Brogdon in particular were, were the two best players on the on the team in 2015 and you guys were both so likable there was just something about you guys that like uh you, you didn't really, I don't know there's just something that was, that was very very easy to cheer for you guys you had great personalities um and you seemed to just be a great represent representatives of Virginia but what was, what was always fascinating to me was you always seemed to have this edge to you, Justin, that like you, you, were, you were not afraid to mix it up, we'll say. And that, is, that has become true as you progressed in your career. Um, and so what I wanted to do with you is, is basically this, Justin. You, you've been in a handful of, we'll, we'll call them altercations. Um, <laughs> and now that, now that some time has passed and, and your emotions have calmed, I want to revisit some of these. And I want to get, your, I want to get a breakdown of what happened. And, and, and now that you look back on it, how, how much you feel like you are to blame for what happened, if that makes sense. So yeah. ba- basically what this came from is uh, my first trip to Charlottesville was for the Duke game when Justice Winslow grabbed your leg and you stood over him like you're going to rip his head off and then you helped him up and um, that whole thing. And then I, I was going to look back on, I was trying to find that today as I was researching for everything and I typed in like Justin Anderson altercation or something. And there were so many results that came up. And then I was thinking to myself, how does this happen? How does a guy like this that is, uh, you know, so mild-mannered in this interview that we're doing uh, get, get caught up in this? But then at the same time, Justice Winslow grabbing your leg is not your fault. So I wanted to go through each of these individual inst- instances, and, and you explain what happened and uh, how much was your fault now that we're looking back on it. So the Justice Winslow thing, what happened here? Uh, did you instigate him in any way? What, give, give, us, give us the rundown here. That game was uh, college game day, right? Yeah, it was college game day. You guys were nineteen and zero at the time, and Duke was like number four in the country. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. So, well, I guess I'll begin by saying, like, I think I got into like eight too many altercations in my basketball playing career. But where I'm from, and playing at the YMCA, and playing at uh, we called it American Family Fitness, and another gym that we had, and boys and girls, and all of that you get into that, into these types of things all the time, right? You, you're just hooping, somebody gets fouled too hard, you push, they push back. But like, at the end of the day, you know the people, you know the people at the club, you know the people at, um, you know, the rec center, you know the people who are, you're playing against the Justice Winslows and whoever else we're about to revisit. Um, so it's, it's more just heat in a moment. And sometimes I like to say like, I blacked out, right? Like sometimes you like black out in a moment and then like reality sets back in. You have to understand that there are people watching that you know, this obviously we're play, like you said, nineteen and zero, maybe number one in the country. Like there are people constantly watching, and mm-hmm. I can't go and be one person in the community and then show or, or exemplify something else out on the court. And so for me, it's like my parents raised both of my parents together, and you know everything to this day. Uh, they raised me to to be respectful, but at the same time, like you defend yourself when the time is right. And uh, and so for me, it was like in that moment, absolutely, I wanted to rip his head off. <laughs> in moment, it's like all right, Justice, like, why would you do that shit? Like, that's bullshit. Like, so <laughs> yeah. you, you realize, like, all right, you know what? So you're in you're in Charlottesville, you're in JPJ, and you're just like, come on, man. Like, that's uncalled for. And afterwards, yeah. you have the conversation with each other. Like, oh, yeah, he's like, my fault, bro. Like, I'm like, yeah. it's, a, like it's, it's a part of competition. Um, but if, God, I couldn't imagine if w- where I would be right now if that situation plan- panned out and I just start wailing out on him. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- that was that was one of the funny. It's one of my favorite clips. Is just just because you you had the visceral reaction where you're just like, I'm going to kill this dude, and then you call yourself <laughs> in a split second. You're like, or you know what? Instead of that, what if I just helped him up? And it just like immediately went from like 
war to like ah never mind I'll I'll right. I'll let cooler heads prevail. Um, all right, so so that that was that was the genesis of this idea, and then as I started investigating more, uh, the one the the other one that's kind of funny looking back on is the one from the preseason this year where Marcus Morris bounces the ball off of your forehead. Wait, before you go into the Marcus Morris one, okay. There's one that you're missing. The one that I was tripping on was Nene. That was in, when I was. Oh, a- I have I have that on the list. We can do that one. Go to the Nene one. Yeah, you were boxing him out, and your arms get tangled up. Uh, what what happened there? So I already knew he was a big dude, and I can't I can't even like I I, I kind of wish I could see it again, but I just remember after the game, Darren Williams, who was my vet, great guy, like still talks to him to this day. Um, I remember Darren was like, yo, you know, he's like black belt or whatever it is that he had. <laughs> I was like, bro, I didn't know. Nor did I like, Why are you? You're mad strong. And you just like take my arm and lock me up. Like you could have broke my arm, bro. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so in the moment, I was just a young kid. Like I was just young, like kind of hot headed. And I was just like, like, come on, yeah. man. Like, what's up with that? And then they, you know, you know how NBA fights are, right? Like, right. Separated or whatever. Um, but it's like, it's more of just an intense, heated conversation, you know, right in front of each other. Um, but that that one, that one, I think that was the only one that I would say I was, I was tripping because that dude is, is a scary fellow. <laughs> as as Jalen, Jalen Rose says, hold me back, right? And that the thing. Right, right. Hold me don't back. Actually fight. <laughs> just, just hold me back. Uh, yeah, I had Nene on the list. Uh, all right, well, we'll save the Marcus Morris one for last. How about that? Uh, what about the Dwayne Wade one where Dwayne Wade just inexplicably grabs your arm and throws you into the first row during the playoffs. What happened there? What's the story behind that? Well, that was media. That was the media row, not the first row. Oh, okay. All right. I'm a little ahead in that. Um, But uh, that was another situation where I saw him later. I actually ended up coaching his son in uh, (laughs) uh, the NBA Top 100. And it was kind of awkward for a second. I let my pride down and I was like, yo, what's up, bro? Like, how's everything? Whatever. We kind of talked. but that was just playoff basketball. I remember Lloyd Pierce is our coach. Uh, he was our defensive coach in in, in uh, Philly, and he grabbed a hold of me and TJ McConnell. And he or he talked to us both individually, but he told me he was like, "Hey, I talked to TJ, um, and, and and now I'm talking to you. We're going to need you both defensively uh, to try to stop D Wade in that second unit." He's like, "I don't know which one of you guys I'm going to put on him, but keep in mind, I'm." I'm 13th man at this point, 12th, 13th mm-hmm. man. And uh, I'm trying to pr- I'm trying to continue to put my stamp in the NBA and trying to keep my career on the up. And uh, so he was like, look, do whatever you got to do. I need you to get in his head. I need you to lock him down. I need you to do whatever it takes to kind of keep him from killing us. Because when he's coming off the bench, that second unit, when they win, they win the ball games based off of analytics. And so uh, I kind of initiated that one. Um, <laughs> obviously, D-Wade is goaded. He's one that I've always watched growing up. Um, I initiated that one because when I first came into the game, I just like stared like right at his at it. It was kind of like yeah, some, yeah. some LeBron type stuff. But I just wanted to prove to my coaches, like, look, whatever you guys need me to do, um, I'm willing to do. And we ended up going on to win that series. Um, but I think because I kind of initiated it by just touching him too much and like kind of bumping him, I was doing everything just to get under his wing. Um, it was on a box out. I went to box him out with my forearm and he caught my forearm and uh, he showed me how strong he was in that in that instance. And then Fast forward a few plays later, he comes down, he crossed me. I mean, these are all like internet memes that you never want to yeah. be a part of, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a part of the journey, mm-hmm. I guess. And uh, he crosses over and he uh, misses the shot. So I was good. If he made yeah, it yeah. on top of all of that, it could have been on <laughs> social for sure. 
But no, that, that's what you want, though. If it, like that, him throwing you into the media isn't that like validation that you're doing a good job? Like that's exactly what you're trying to do is frustrate him, right? And yeah, with, with all due respect, obviously Hall of Famer, like yeah, one of the best shooting guards to ever even lace him up. Um, but it, he wasn't able to do whatever he wanted. And if you know the season before that, I mean, he was killing guys, especially against us. I mean, he was hitting big time like game winners against us in Philly. Um, he was doing his thing against us. And so I'm sitting on the bench like, yo, all you have to do is this. And so now is my opportunity to go prove that yeah. it doesn't matter who you are. I, I can guard you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, I, I had another, I had a few others on my list. Let's see here. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, when you guys, it wasn't really an altercation. Uh, it was just, uh, you guys were talking smack back and forth and it got heated and some guys had to come in and, and that was, that was a hold me back for sure. Like no one really, it didn't really get physical, but, uh, you guys were definitely John. What what was the story there? This is in 2017, uh, I, th- I believe. Like I said, I think I got into eight too many of these things. <laughs> I know. Well, that's what that's what's hilarious to me is like I didn't realize that this was a thing with you until and and what's funny about it is so many of them are. I, it feels like they're not your fault. I mean, like you're just trying to block out Dwayne Wade, and he just grabs your arm and throws you. And Justice Winslow's grabbing your leg, and I'm like, I, that's why I wanted the I wanted to get to the bottom of this, Justin. Is this your fault? Is are, are you just a pest? Do people hate Virginia style of basketball and they blame you for it? <laughs> like, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think the biggest thing, right, is like nobody likes to be touched. Like, I, I was watching a Jordan documentary, and I think my pops was preparing me for that. He mm-hmm. didn't kind of see the game changing to this, we're going to pull up two steps over half court. If you mm-hmm. grab a guy and you throw your head back, it's an automatic foul. He didn't prepare me for that. I mean, I was playing against – grown men ever since I was like 10 or 11 years old. Like I said, at rec centers, former pros, um, you know, I played two years up or three every year. Like I was a freshman playing 17s on Boo Williams with uh, Kendall Marshall and James McAdoo and Travis McKay. And these are Andre Dawkins. I mean, these are guys that were just bigger, stronger, faster than me. And I had to figure out how I can, you know, hold my own. And a guy like Melo, I mean, when he's in that 15-foot range, if you don't touch him a little bit, he's going to embarrass you. And, I, you know, when I'm trying to carve out a career for myself and, uh, you know, put food on, 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 my, on my plate and my family, take care of everybody, like, I have to go out there and do whatever it takes to get stops. And uh, that's one thing I think that a lot of teams and people respect me for is that I'm willing to guard whoever, point guard. Mm-hmm. To um, but with the whole Melo thing, it was the same type of scenario. Uh, the one thing, it was kind of a running joke. I, I talked to uh, – Joel about it and then we like joked about it for the rest of the season um because he kept saying don't do that don't do that don't do that and it was like how great do you have to be to just say three words and like and, and somebody's just like all right like you got it but I'm not gonna you know make this it's not gonna be easy for you uh, but it was just trash talk man it was just you know a lot of bumping and uh we actually saw them later again at the end of the season um yeah. and I, think I had my career high against them and uh and it was just trash talk man I mean that's what it was and it was obviously no disrespect or anything. Um, you know, I obviously I have, once again, Hall of Famer, huge respect for Melo. Comes from the same area um, in that D.C., Maryland, Baltimore area. Um, so, I mean, huge amount of respect. Uh, but it's just competitive fire. And for me, every night is a playoff game. When you're 13th, like I said, 13th, 14th, 15th guy, you don't get time to just go out there and be cool and try to just, you know, try to play everything off like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. I mean, for me, I have to be a little gritty. And sometimes it gets me in a little bit of trouble. All right, so the the one I would say might be your fault, and and you can you can disagree with me. It was uh, 
the Russell Westbrook dancing in the playoffs where he, he was dancing with oh, Cameron Payne. And, and then you and Villanueva like kind of walk in front of him. And you're, <laughs> you're trying to antagonize him, Justin. Hey, you're trying was, to antagonize him. Listen, listen, it wasn't my fault. The, okay. <laughs> the day before we were in the playoffs as a, as a rookie with Dallas, uh, Rick Carlisle, UVA legend, uh, mm-hmm. obviously Boston Celtics, 2011 NBA champion. Loved my time in Dallas. Loved Coach Carlisle, Mark Cuban, all those guys. The meeting before we played OKC, uh, Coach is pissed because Campaign and Russ Westbrook do these dances before every game. And he's like, I'm just waiting for one of you suckers to just go out there and interrupt one of those dances. <laughs> and Charlie Villanueva says, Coach, you know what? You're right. Me and Rook got it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what? And so, uh, so I'm with I, because me and Charlie go. We do our handshakes with our own team. So yeah. Charlie's like, "Rook, let's go!" Like I'm like, "All right, bet!" Like whatever. So you see me just kind of jump in the middle of it. I get thrown back, and then the, the video, the, the meme video, kind of cut short. But I come back right back, and he does the same yeah. thing. Starts complaining to the referees. Um, Oh, about yeah. it. That was, that, was a, that was a funny one, man. That, that was that was real funny. Yeah, you you trying to play it off as though like you don't realize he's right there is so funny. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's so funny to rewatch. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, all right. Okay, let's do the Marcus Morris one. We'll end on that one. What uh, in the preseason this year? Everyone's seen the clip. If you haven't, just go Google Justin Anderson, Marcus. No, Morris don't Google that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's objectively Justin. I'm sorry that you fell victim to this, but it is, it is objectively funny. It is something in all my years of watching basketball. I've never in my life seen a guy just take a ball and just bop a guy in the face. Um, so you really must have been pissing him off. Like what the what the hell is the story here? Uh, I know you guys were like getting into it a little bit before that happened, but but what? No, we 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 never got into it. Actually, <laughs> it was interesting to me. What was really weird to me is keep in mind, like I'm trying to make a team, and, and I'm not going to make an excuse for anything that happened. But at the same time, like what happened happened, and it is what it is, right? And so before <laughs> the game, I'm trying to make the team, and I'm I'm not sure. I'm asking Brad, like, yo, like, what do you think they're going to do? Like, whatever. So he's just like, just keep killing. You've been killing in training camp. John Wall saying the same thing, and. Um, you know, just keep going out there killing. So we play these guys, we play New York, and they and they're on this like tough guy thing already, right? You remember Bobby Portis kind of talking about some of that stuff earlier in the yeah. season. Um and so before the game, I was like, I, I say to him and he I started that game and my matchup was was uh the Morris twin. And so we started the game and he's like, uh, I'm like, uh, g- uh, like let's go, good luck this year, whatever, stay healthy. And he was like, You too, young fella, keep going, I see you. And so I'm like, all right, cool, like, you know, and I didn't think anything of it, whatever. So at the time, he wanted to prove himself of being like a scorer for them. And if you watch the, the first half of that game, he got ejected, obviously, in the second at the end of the first half. Um, but if you watch that, like I made everything tough on him. I made it very difficult. And then I come out of the game and he just goes on this tear. Somebody else is guarding him. He goes on a tear. He's hitting fadeaway threes. He's hitting turnaround post-ups. The only two points that he scores on me, um, which was uh, I thought was a, a, bit, a bad call, he, got, he gets to the cup. I foul him, and he gets an and one. He goes through my body, and I believe he gets the and one. Mm-hmm. And nothing, no trash talk or anything is said, but he bumps me. And uh, and so I, we come back. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, it's, that's just a part of what it is, right? So he, so then we come back out, and I was like, come on. Like, why you do that? Like, we're not doing that. He like, we're not doing what? And I'm like, what? Like, 
what just happened to you? Why are you so You're angry? like, where's Charlie Villanueva? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't need any backup, right? Because I'm not thinking that somebody eventually will go on to just taking the ball. Like, the only time you do that is if you're crossing up and you go off the heezy, right? Old school. Yeah, hockey. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when it happened, so we – well, first I would say um, I, I, I pressure up because I'm not tra- – he's already at 17. He had a great first half, not against me, but I'm going back in to do what my job is. So I pressure up and he throws the elbow and I look at Ed Malloy. I'm like, yo, Ed, like (laughs) that was this close. That was the fingernail closer. Just taking my whole nose off. Keep in mind, this is the most random. You're not, we're not doing that. We're not doing what? Like there's no, if it was trash talk, I I don't care. Also, also we should say it's preseason. There, that, yeah, that, yeah. That, that matters too. It's like it's preseason. And so, uh, you know, as soon as the elbow, I look at Ed, I'm like, yo, Ed, what's going on? And by the time I look back in, I'm getting hit in the head with the ball. <laughs> and like, I don't even know what to make of it. And like, of course, like, look, after the fact, like, everybody has Twitter fingers. I get it. I come back into the locker yeah. room, feature reports blasting it. And I get it. That, that, I will say there was a moment where I was really embarrassed and I wish I would have done something about it in the moment but then i look back at it and it was just and a bunch of guys around the league hit me up and was like yo you handled that the way that you were supposed to that was yeah. or whatever yeah, uh, and that's what kind of made me realize like all right cool whatever but it was like for me i was like like where did that even come from i don't even yeah. understand. like it's never been any whatever and so when i get hit i don't even know how to process it and so you guys you guys have seen he got game right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah of course so if, I, if, 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 if i could go back remember when denzel just like like right in the throat uh mm-hmm. to to, to mm-hmm. what, Lala's boy, I don't, I forget who it was, um, but the guy that was talking to him, like you start playing all these things, like man, what should I have done to him? So it wasn't a situation where I was. That's what you're going to go for. It again. The MacGruber throat rip. That's what you're going to go for. Just quick, right? But you know, I mean, that's when you kind of look back at it. You kind of look back on it and you say, like, you know what, it is what it is. I'm glad that you know where I want to be in life. Once again, with the Justice Winslow thing and all the other stuff, it's just trash talk. Like where you want to be is is so much further than being remembered. Like like Chris Childs and Kobe Bryant. Like right. Chris Childs yeah. had one of the best two pieces on Kobe Bryant, but yeah. it's like that's not what I'm here for. Like I have right. that, dreams and aspirations that go far beyond being a, just an NBA basketball player. Like I want to be able to get into broadcasting and do things at the highest level. So like that's a part of just who I am. I'm kind of forward thinking, and that's not the message that I wanted to send to other people. Um, but the worst part about it is that like it comes across as like, yo, this dude is sweet. We're just going well, to yeah. That's what's that's what's just so wild to me is that you're you're obviously a nice guy uh, uh, off the court at least. Um, you, you don't have a reputation as far as I know as like being a dirty player. It's not like it's not like you're giving these guys cheap shots and they're retaliating. You're just kind of an antagonist, and you just kind of you just play good defense is what it seems like. But it's just funny looking back when you when you kind of stack them on top of each other. It's like is this dude just that unlucky that like guys just snap? And just throw <laughs> just start throwing him around and want to fight him, or is he doing something? That's why I had to ask Justin. I just had to ask how much is a. No, it's it's actually great because I never really talked about it. Like I refuse yeah. to go on Twitter and be like, "Yeah, bro, see me after like whatever." Yeah, whatever. yeah. I refuse to be that guy. Like when the moment comes and we speak face to face, then that's that's what it is. But yeah. um, as far as like trying to make it a big old public thing because I was the one that kind of was the victim, if you will. Like, that's not really who I am. Like, it's just, it is what it is. It happened. 
it's gonna it's gonna retwine. It's our media today, right? It's gonna recycle, and you just gotta kind of deal with it. And it's really like you, you, as you know, that these things happen off. These things happen in practice all the time. As you said, you're growing up playing against guys older than you. I'm sure there's a ton of alter. Like this is not. It's it's not like there's the. Um, I don't know any cause for concern that guys playing basketball will get into it every so often. Like that's a that's a normal thing um, right. that happens in, on on basketball courts. But anyway, I don't know. I just thought uh. I thought it was pretty funny. No, they are. They're, they're, they're hilarious to me. When I when I when someone put together the compilation of me getting into it with everybody, I was like, all right, like I gotta chill. Like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if that's what comes with with locking people up, then you know, yeah, then, that's a good that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah that's a good thing. Really yeah, good. you you're gonna spin the narrative and say that you would have been a great '90s basketball player and just pander to that era. You know what I mean? Start talking to the Charles Barkleys of the world, yeah, yeah. the Shaquille O'Neals of the world. Start sending them tapes of you playing hard defense. You know what I mean? That's that's the next move. If that's the case, they probably the first thing that they would say to me is, "Why didn't you punch that motherfucker in the face?" So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can flip it back to what they were doing back then, man. Those haymakers, they were throwing me. <laughs> You're like, I can't even hand check. I definitely can't punch. Right. Um. Uh, before we let you go, I I had I had a couple other questions. Number one, um, can you give us any insight into Tony Bennett? Uh, that that the people don't know. Um, is there anything that Tony Bennett does that does not fit with his image? That does not align with his image? Does he have does he have a back tattoo? Does he does he ride a motorcycle? Does he <laughs> does he um the you know like is is there anything that Tony Bennett like people would be like wow I didn't I didn't see, does he smoke cigarettes? Is he a chain smoker? Like is there anything that like or or is he really just as like straight laced as as we as we see on TV? Well, if there were if there were off the top, I probably wouldn't even share it with you guys. Yeah, yeah, that that, that you'd be in trouble if you did. <laughs> right? Well, I, I don't know if I'll get in trouble, but that's just family, right? At yeah, this right, point, yeah. He, He's like a father figure to not only me, but all of us. Um, but, you know, I mean, he's just as solid as they come, man. And he's a great example um, through through religion, through his faith, um, through competitive spirit. Like he he always would talk about how, uh, you know, Jesus was this great man. But at the same time, Jesus was no walkover. Right. Like he would come back and he would, you know, he would show fight when it when it was when the time was right and everything. Um, excuse me. Sorry about that. Uh, but he, he, you know, he he's just a great dude. He's super competitive. Like he plays ping pong, and he, mm-hmm. he tries to take your throat out in ping pong. He he, he's in competition. He's trying to kill you. Anything Is he a good trash like, talker? Yes, yes. Because really? you, because you don't expect it though. Not because yeah. it's like he's gonna make. He's gonna get a whole gym behind him, and and everybody's like, oh, he's talking crazy today. No, it's like <laughs> he'll, he'll get he'll get into a competition with you and he would let his game do it. And then once he starts wearing you out and your tongue's hanging out, then that's when he just starts saying things like, well, what's up? Like, you can't. <laughs> and so he'll wear you out, you know, kind of like that. But he's just sly, man. He's, slow, he's a smooth guy. Like, he, you know, everybody wants to be like TV nowadays, right? He's the trending yeah. topic. Right. Well, all right. That's good. My my other question was, uh, had, I I was not aware that this was a, a Virginia tradition until I went to Charlottesville, uh, for the for the title parade celebration thing, um, and all of the fans there tried to get me to streak the lawn, and they told me they told me about what the streak the lawn was. So when Kyle guy came on the podcast, we asked him if he if he streaked the lawn, stroked the lawn, stro- what what is the past tense of streak? Uh. If did did he ever streak the lawn? He he confirmed that he did. Uh, Justin, have you ever streaked the lawn? And and for those that don't know, this means like what you get naked, and you run across the the quad basically at Virginia. This is the tradition yeah. of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like a it's like the rotunda, the back of the rotunda, mm-hmm. and you go up these steps. Um, 
you, I guess the tradition from how I was taught, um, you take your clothes off at the top of the steps, you run down the steps as naked, you run around a big statue at the end. It's a probably 60 yard run maybe. And uh, you run back. So my first time doing it was in the rain. Um, I knew I was going to, um, I knew I was going to have to do it at some point. And so I think it was a soft, my sophomore year. Um, I went and I did it. Like I said, it was in the rain. It was a group of us that went and went and did it. Um, and I came back and it was just, and it was just so, so in my junior year, um, early in my junior year, I actually had to go a second time um, because I was out, ran into a beautiful lady. Uh, <laughs> her friends, I had my friends and the rest was history. So I actually, struck, I actually was strict. I actually struck the lawn twice. Okay. Uh, so wow. I don't know if that counts for anything. It puts me up in the UVA legendary board. Yeah, uh, but, but streaking the lawn is definitely. I wonder what I wonder, what, I mean. wonder what the record is—the all-time record for Virginia students, probably in the thousands. Just some yeah. guy that does it every. <laughs> Listen, every we, we have a whole list of things that you're supposed to do before you graduate, and I don't even know if I'm a third of that list complete. Like it's 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 a lot. But uh, did you have have you gotten drunk and gotten on the tables at the Virginian? That's a thing too. Or have you have you? Sp- Fell down the stairs at Trinity. Those are the three things that I, I was told. Or the, the I fe- I slipped, but I caught myself. I didn't oh, fall. Okay. Down. The amount of times that I've seen people fall down those stairs, though, yeah. it's crazy. I mean, people bust their ass. But um, I, I slipped, and I caught myself, luckily. Um, but as far as the drinking, I didn't start drinking until I was 21, actually. Um, mm. So I didn't I – didn't dr- and that was right before I got drafted. So um, I, I never did the drinking and on top of the Virginian. I never did the fourth year, fifth obviously because I wasn't a fourth year. Like we have these like heat tunnels that run all through the bottom of the, uh, the, 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 the grounds. And you're supposed to like go in one of those heat tunnels, which sounds dangerous, but people do it all the time. Uh, <laughs> so I, 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 like I said, I'm not even a third way done, but the streaking one, I had to make sure I got that under my, under my, that is, that is pretty much every college tradition at every college is, it sounds dangerous, but people do it all the time. That is, that is how you sum up the college experience. I think in this country, <laughs> Exactly. But right now I'm working on finishing my degree, like I said, undergrad degree. Um, so it's super cool. I want to be able to do this for my parents. They didn't go through this whole process for me to go three and, and, and not give it a chance to finish it up. So hopefully I can knock out some of these things when I graduate from UVA. Cool. Well, Tate, we got anything else for him? Is that uh, it? No, I was going to say, I, I appreciate you coming on, Justin. And, and uh, for people that don't know, you guys have the podcast, right? Locker Room Access. Uh, and it's all the Virginia guys just rotating in and out, talking about Virginia basketball. So if you already enjoy Mark Titus and I talking and fawning over Virginia basketball, go listen to Justin and all these other guys actually talk about it. Yeah, if you like us talking about Virginia basketball, you might like guys that actually know. <laughs> yeah, the actual Virginia <laughs> that would probably be good. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, continued success. Um, continue, please continue to antagonize people. Don't let don't let yes. me pointing this out say that you should stop. That was not the point of this. This was just a, a, a fun little exercise we're doing here. We, we love your brand of basketball. We always have both Virginia and you individually. Uh, thank you for joining us. Good luck with everything. We appreciate Thank it. you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I, I'm not initiate anything, but whatever happens, it kind of comes with the territory. Right. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Right. Thanks, man. All right. Appreciate it. See you, man. All right. Thanks to Justin Anderson for coming on. And uh, Titus, I have to tell you that story. He mentioned uh, that Carolina game in 2015 that he went off. And uh, he, he was like, you you know the reason for that, Tate. And it was because uh, North Carolina took J.P. Tokito over Justin Anderson. And uh, in that specific game, he decided to – remind them of that and uh, i was there i saw it all in person and it uh it still hurts my heart to this so is the implication there that he wanted to go to carolina or it's not that he even wanted he just wanted carolina to want him 
He wanted he was a Vince Carter fan, so he was like, I'm a big North Carolina basketball mm. fan at one point, but they didn't prioritize him. He's a top fifty guy. They took Tokito and then yeah. I like I like what you mentioned during the interview that he needs to rebrand himself as like a guy who would have thrived in the nineties. Like yeah, old his school identity. Guy. It's just yeah. like I, try to try to make his way onto every one of those lists where people are like, which which players would have been awesome in the nineteen nineties? Because he's got the Jordan attitude of being offended at all times. How many times did he mention mm-hmm. you know, I kinda I kinda took that as a personal front uh, yeah it was, it was a personal slight to me you're like okay all right i like that. they took jp tokido and i took that as a per- yeah i love it love the attitude uh thanks to justin he's he's great i've i i love uh i don't know it's, it's cool to have him on because I, I i vividly remember watching him at virginia and, and um i don't know that, that's one of the that's one of the investments you and i made very early was virginia basketball that'll be paying off for the rest of our lives it's so great <laughs> that virginia sucked this year we didn't talk about virginia at all all season mm-hmm. on the podcast and virginia fans don't care because they we're in the bag for them and they know it. And uh, yeah, we can find it out for the rest of our lives. <laughs> and they also knew that they weren't very good this year. So yeah, they also uh, agree. Th- yeah. that's the other part of the whole thing. So that um, makes things easier. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Shout outs, closeouts. What do we got? Uh, shout out for me, uh, Mac McClung. He commits mm. to Texas tech, Chris Beard, uh, the king of the transfer portal, the king of transfers, um, the, the king of Lubbock all around. And Chris Beard obviously has Mac McClung coming in, return to the Mac. I don't know how this really fits, but I know they're a deep team. He's trying to get the waiver. If he plays this year, uh, I saw a lot of college basketball hoop heads uh, very excited about the fact that well, uh, he would be I on saw the team. Uh, Johnny Juzang got the waiver, the Kentucky kid that yep, transferred back home to UCLA. He just got a waiver, and I don't really think he had much of a leg to stand on. And I don't say that because I didn't want him to get the waiver. I want all the guys to get the waiver, but I just mean as like a an objective uh, you know, bystander. I'm like, why? I don't understand why he got a waiver. So the mm-hmm. fact that NCAA gave him one, uh, it bodes well for all these other guys that are are just going to do the pandemic route. I think is that the move? You're just like, I uh, I have quarantine brain and I, I need I need to change the scenery. So please, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, yeah I gotta get out of here. <laughs> and everyone's like, all right, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Seems like Chris Beard wants him. Let's go. Oh, so who's left in the transfer portal at this point? I'm trying to think of who the top guys are. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't even know who it would be. And what happens? What What if the transfer portal? What if you just unplug the transfer portal? What happens? Are all these guys <laughs> yeah. just stuck there? <laughs> yeah, 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 forever, like an eternity. It's like a Black Mirror episode. It's like I, I'm forever in the transfer portal. I wish I could get out. Uh, yeah, I don't know who's. I don't know who's left. I have to. We we have to figure that out for for content purposes, so we can ham it up and, and draw out their recruitment and put out their top seven and all that kind of stuff. Um. I want to shout out the NBA. Uh, the The National Basketball Association announced this week that they maybe potentially might be coming back uh, eventually. Um, eventually. That's, that's all the chatter in the sports world is that the NBA is throwing out all these plans to come back. They, our, our, our good friend KOC put out an article about how they're considering this World Cup type format of having groups that then the groups, the, the winners of the groups, then go on to a bracket and play and, and have a real playoff. And then there are other people that are like, no, that'll never happen. Um, it's going to happen this way. But then everyone's arguing. Meanwhile, Woj is saying that it's probably going to be August if the, if the season comes back because if it's going to be any earlier than that, they probably need to announce it now to give enough of a runway to have all the guys get in shape and, and get the logistics in place. Uh, so yeah, that's cool. <laughs> the, the, the NBA, it, it feels like it's coming back, but it's also not. <laughs> so shout out to the NBA. Yeah. Shout out to the NBA. We, there's a lot of hope and optimism, but like you said, not a lot of answers, uh, especially specific answers about what it will actually look like. And, you know, I think the one thing that I have to say about the, this whole quarantine and, and professional athletes is a lot of people I've, I've seen 
they seem to think that you can just like flip the switch. You yeah, know, yeah. like guy, like guys just oh, oh, we're green light to play. Let's let's go. Like we're gonna be exactly what we were before. Again, I want to remind people, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the best player in the Eastern Conference, did not have a basketball goal at his house. Mm-hmm. So he hasn't been able to play basketball. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. he's been able to go to the facility at some point, but like there's a there's a myriad of reasons for it to be kind of crazy and kind of wild. And if football really is a go, like everyone's saying it is, if you get in August, then the NBA is competing with football season. I, uh, here, here's my fix for the NBA. Here's what I think they should do. I think they should delay it till like I think they should, should restart the season in like I don't know late October, um, and then from there just like play out like a full season, and then have the playoffs in April or May, and then have like the championship, have the finals in June of next year is what I think should happen. <laughs> in other words just cancel the season i think yeah, that, uh, I think that sounds <laughs> like uh that sounds like the right plan you know just like uh, i feel like that's where we're headed i don't want them to cancel the season i i i i i feel like you need to make that clear that that i uh as a sports guy you do actually want the sports to come back i want the i want nba back but like it feels it th- this just feels like classic like nba just like dominate the conversation get everyone talking about how we're coming back but there's no concrete plan and everyone's arguing about like what the plan actually is and are they going to be in Disney world? And are they not? And uh, it just feels like it's inevitable that it's just going to drag out forever. And then eventually no one's going to, ca- and then you have like Damian Lillard coming out and like, I'm not going to play if, if what am I going to play three games and we're, we're definitely not making the playoffs. Like that, that's stupid. Yeah. I'm so going to go put the, myself at risk. To, yeah, exactly. Other teams are like, why would we try to win? Like you're, you're pretending like we have a chance to make the playoffs. We all know we don't. So we're not even going to try because it's going to ruin our lottery position because this is an absolutely loaded draft and we definitely want LaMelo ball on our team. We want that number one <laughs> that coveted. It's just a, it's just a, everywhere you turn, it feels like people have a problem with it. So, um, I don't know. It's it's a bummer, but uh, I don't know. The NBA is coming back, though. That that's the headline. That's all. Yeah. That's that's yeah. the important takeaway here. At, at Disney World. That that was the greatest headline spin of all time. And uh, yeah, it is funny because like in college basketball, like you said, we don't have a champion. There is no champion. We've already seen it at one you know major basketball uh, mm-hmm. venue. I think we will probably see some people, some players uh, specifically that may start with an L. That will be very upset <laughs> if, if the season is canceled. And uh, they may cl- he may claim uh, you know an AP type title like the nineteen twenty four right. Um, I, I think that's what they're trying to avoid as well. Like uh, players upset in that sense, but it's I don't know. It just seems it like does feel like the NBA has a better shot of coming back than baseball though, which is absolutely staggering to me and very frustrating that baseball mm. can't figure this shit out because uh, yeah, I don't know. It feels like baseball is nowhere close to being figured out, and that's uh, I don't know. As a baseball guy, I'm not happy about that. But I'm not either. But it seems like fans can social distance in the stadiums. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it seems like there's enough room usually. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially at the Tampa Bay games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's Dickie V and Marlins man, and <laughs> I guess that's never mind. That's the Marlins. Um, all right, what else we got? Uh, Jason Terry, uh, an assistant coach. We, we mentioned Arizona earlier. I'm hoping that he can stay there when they hire Bobby Hurley. He's going to go down uh, to Arizona to be an assistant coach and. Uh, you know, he's trying to bring back that old Lou Dolson style. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we love that style down in Tucson, and uh, I'm excited about it. Did you see Arizona got commitments from these Lithuanian twins? They now have six international commitments in their 2020 class. Mm. Six international guys in their recruiting class. Very uh, Gonzaga, very West Coast. I kind of like it. As an aside, it has nothing to do with the point. Completely separate point from, or completely separate thought from what I just said. Um, 
the FBI has no jurisdiction in Europe, Tate. Just mm. thought I'd throw that out there as well. Uh, has no no relation whatsoever to the Arizona point. I just wanted to also bring that up. That uh, uh, but six six European guys on there. Uh, or, or is it European or international? I think just six international. International, but you know who does the the CIA? And uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think they're up next. Uh, that's the next big scandal. Um, I want to shout out Aaron Calipari who tweeted today. Mm. Uh, that her dad left her a briefcase at her house. And before she returned it to her dad, she went through it and found money. Um, I retweeted it with eyeball emojis, uh, which, as we know, as Chris Mack taught us, doesn't mean anything. It just means mm. that I see this tweet. It, you're, mm. you're not offering any commentary whatsoever. You're just saying, I have read this tweet, mm. um, which is all I was saying. Uh, and then she deleted it, Tate. She deleted the tweet. But apparently, Aaron Calipari is Lloyd Christmas. Uh, it, it, it seems like John Calipari... Dropped, dropped a briefcase full of money somewhere, and, and Aaron Calipari came sprinting through the airport and did a sliding grab of the, of the briefcase, and now she's going to have the gas man following her <laughs> across the country to Aspen, I guess. I, guess I can't it. believe that there was not the one-to-one where it was like, maybe this money could be related to something else. I, uh, I find that actually kind of flattering, you know, or, or yeah, kind, yeah. Of, like, kind of quaint that, that there was no thought of, of any menace, which makes me think that maybe... You know, Coach Cow is just so clean. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the, you can never think about anything like that. Um, but yeah, this was a great tweet. This is a great moment. And, and for you and I, we're, we like bag dropping. But but I don't mind a briefcase being dropped. Briefcase uh, being dropped is not. Yeah, that's 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 solid. You can't fit as much money in a briefcase as you can in a bag. So it's, I think I think that should be the line for mm. NCAA. Like it, it, the NCAA is finding it hard to police all of this. And they're trying to like figure out what is acceptable, what is not. Um, and it, 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 and my mind goes to like, drug possession tate of mm-hmm. of you find a guy with a little bit a little bag of weed on him most of the time the cops are like come on they take they take it they throw it away they say be gone with you um you have a lot the the intent to distribute you get busted so what if we draw the line at like if you have a briefcase full of cash you're giving to recruit it's just like a little slap on the wrist they, they, mm-hmm. they confiscate the money but they're like come on you know better than that mm-hmm. but once you have a duffel bag it's an intent to distribute <laughs> Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing real time. I think that's what we should. I think that's where the lunch be drawn. Yeah, the Godfrey or the Calipari, and the, yeah. and the Calipari is not as offensive. But you're also like, <laughs> come on, and the Godfrey, you're like, come on, dude, seriously, come on. Uh, I want to shout out Tom Crean as well. Uh, Tom Crean, I found out this week uh, has unblocked me on Twitter. I don't know how it happened. Um, mm. Someone sent me a tweet from Tom Crean. I clicked on it and I could see it. And I, I have not been able to see a Tom Crean tweet in seven years. I want to say. I think the 2013 season when. I was shitting all over him for losing to Syracuse. Uh, I think that's when he blocked me. Um, he unblocked me, and I don't. I don't have any idea why. So come on the podcast, Tom. Let's talk about it. Let's. I think. He, let's. Let's hug it out. I think he unblocked you because of the Maui Invitational. We saw him there uh, mm. across the room. Mm. He gave some looks. He's like, "Why are these people still involved in this sport? How do how do I how do I get them out of the sport?" Um, but like you said, we were still there. We were still uh-huh. giving him eyes, and uh, you know, he, he finally is accepting the fact that he has to come on the show and address it. Do you yes, think like, what what if Cody Zeller made it happen for us? What if that was why Cody Zeller told the story about the bat and then Tom Crane uh, unblocked me for that reason? I don't know, but he unblocked me, so uh, I, I'm I'm excited about that because he is my white whale interview. I think uh, Tom Crane and I have had a a personal rivalry for a professional rivalry, <laughs> we'll say for that has turned personal at times um, for a very long time. So. I don't know. Olive branch being extended. Thank you, Tom. Yes. I see. Thank you, Coach Green. Please come on. <laughs> Please share your gift. Anything else before we go? 
Uh, shout out to Dwayne Wade. As you talk about Tom Crean, I just want to remind people he did recruit Dwayne Wade and took him to a Final Four. And, and then Dwayne uh, Wade threw Justin Anderson into the first row of the media. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It all comes full circle. Full circle. Uh, shout out to NASA. Shout out to SpaceX uh, launching, doing the relaunch on Saturday. I was geeked up for it on Thursday or on Wednesday, I guess it was. Uh, it didn't happen. They've postponed it to Saturday. I'm excited for that. So uh, I just want to get on record that I'm a space guy. I'm a big time space guy. And uh, I'm excited to, to, to watch that shuttle get <laughs> shot, shot in space. Watch that rocket get yeah, blown yeah. up there. I, uh, I'm a little hesitant. It seems like Elon Musk is just trying to get off Earth. And uh, that makes me a little <laughs> worried. And, uh, you know, other than that, I am excited as well. Uh, all right. That's the show. Thanks to Justin Anderson for coming on. Thanks to you guys for listening. We'll be back next week.